to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. And we are broadcasting from our home base in Charleston, South Carolina. And as we go through the show, we invite your questions and comments when you visit our official website at RobinBerlinski.com, R-O-B-I-N-B-E-R-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. Robin, hello and welcome to your show. Hello, thank you. So we have a special guest today and you've given me some notes. I'm going to read it because that's what I do. We're going to welcome in the studio Katie Blumquist, who is a nonprofit founder and executive director, social media manager, college adjunct professor, nonprofit coach, and speaker. Katie uses her current success story as the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Going Places to teach others the how-to to create impactful messaging and navigate the media and social media for maximum fundraising results while creating their own successful nonprofit. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited, Ron. I, I want to jump in and say that um, Katie and I don't know each other very well. In the past, we've had guests on that I've worked with for years and years, and that is so exciting for me because I've watched Katie from the very beginning as a teacher at one of our local schools, and I've seen her move on and conquer the world, and I just am thrilled that she's here because I, too, am going to learn a lot today. Well, so welcome. You started at Pepper Pepper Hill Elementary, is that correct? I did, yep. So uh, what's that story? So I was a teacher there for five five years, I think, and um, I taught first grade. And, you know, it's it was a like like most teachers experience. It's it was very definitely very difficult being in the low income, high poverty population. A lot of those kids bring a lot of their stress from home into the classroom and it's definitely it was definitely um, a lot. But I loved it because I was a lot of these kids, you know, mo- the only consistent person in their life, you know, the only consistent hug they got every day. The only person that would say, you know, what's your favorite superhero? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? And, you know, a lot of kids chose at recess not to play, but instead wanted to hang out with me because that's when I could be silly and ask those questions and take, you know, selfies with them on my phone and stuff like that, that I don't think it was attention. They weren't really getting other places. Well, it's a sad state of affairs, I guess, when you think about it. But it once again plays into what we hear all the time. Teachers are so passionate about what they do, and to take it to that extra level is remarkable. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how all Title I teachers are. I mean, all teachers. Like, you you don't do the job because you're getting rich. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, when you teach at a low-income, high-poverty school, a Title I school, um, not because— teaching is your passion, but because that population, having an impact on that population is your passion. So, Katie, so I understand going places about is about bikes. And so what was the impetus for that? Like you were in the classroom one day and did one of your students say, I wish I had a bike? Or how did that work? So one of my students named Juwan, who is now in eighth grade, and I'm still very, very close with him, um, he had asked me for a bike on his birthday. I had taken him out to do a bunch of fun things because not, his birthday was kind of kind of go unrecognized. Um, and so when we were at Walmart and I was letting him pick out his birthday gift, the gift he wait, wanted. Wait, you were going to buy him a bike? Well, no, I couldn't afford a bike, but that's the gift he asked me for. <laughs> and so I was You're like, doing oh, it anyway. you know, I can't, I can't afford this, but I, 
I, you know, I was thinking more of like a $20 gift. <laughs> and so, but I couldn't stop thinking about that that's the gift he had asked for. And, you know, here he is a seven-year-old and I'm like thinking, you know, I had a bike at seven. Like I, how, that's what I did every day after school was ride my bike. And so I started asking other kids in my class, you know, if they had a bike, because maybe it was just him that didn't, or, you know, I wasn't certain. And really none of them did. If they did, they were old, rusty hand-me-downs. They weren't, basically the answer was no. And I asked, well, do your siblings? The answer was no. And so a friend had suggested, why don't you do a GoFundMe to get Joanne a bike? And I thought, well, if I do that, one person will just fulfill it in like a second. If I'm going to do a GoFundMe, what more can I do? Like, what's, I'm going to have a bigger, I want to have the bigger impact. So I realized after thinking about it, I couldn't leave anybody out. You know, what what about the rest of my kids in my class? And what about the other four first grade classes? And what about my kids who'd gone on to second grade and, you know, so on. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do a GoFundMe to get all 650 kids in the school bike. And wow. I'm just going to keep, keep doing it till I do it. I had really no plan. I'm, I live my life by build build the plane as I fly it. And so far it's worked pretty well. But I mean, you, once you commit to that, there's no stopping. So it was a full-time job on top of my full-time job to do the, promote this GoFundMe. So what month was this? Christmas is coming up. Did you do it for Christmas? So that was my initial plan. I launched it the day after Labor Day, but I had no idea how long it takes to raise money. I had no idea how long it takes. So you don't just order bikes and they're there like, you know, within two days, like on Amazon when you're ordering 650. So my timeline was a little messed up. Um, we ended up giving the bikes that next March. Um, so, cause we took time to raise the money and then order them and then to wait for them to come. They have to build them. And it's a lot of, uh, a lot of things I did not know then. So the intent was, yes, a great Christmas gift, but it ended up being a great gift right before summer break for that, something for them to do all summer. I'm noticing something I know about you. You're an entrepreneur, and obviously you're now an entrepreneur. How does that happen? You have this one career path, both of you, and now it's like going off into a direction maybe you never anticipated before. I never anticipated any of this. Um, I... I I think with being an entrepreneur, like at least for me, it's everything snowballed and stemmed. One thing stemmed into the next, stemmed into the next. So the, the me teaching, so it all started with me being a nanny back in Chicago, and that stemmed into, oh, I love kids, I should become a teacher. And then that stemmed into, let me get my master's, and then let me move to Charleston, and then I became a teacher, and then that led to the GoFundMe. The GoFundMe led to starting the nonprofit, and then through the success of the nonprofit, a lot of it was because of social media. So then that led to the College of Charleston asking me if I would, I, mean, I didn't even apply for a job. They literally reached out to me and asked if I would teach, be an adjunct professor and teach social media there every spring. So I was like, oh my gosh, sure. <laughs> so then that led to, well, maybe I should start a social media company. I have this credibility now on two ends. So then I started my social media company, The Social Collective, and then a sidebar from all that, the nonprofit also led me to start, everyone was asking me, you know, how do I do this? How did you make this this successful nonprofit? So I realized, well, I should, I could make money off of teaching people how to do this. And I need, I don't have the time to sit for over two hours while people take unorganized notes. So that led to my nonprofit entrepreneur academy, where I teach people how to start nonprofits through video lessons. 
We're going to drop all these links in the podcast notes. So anyone following, because this is a lot, because you're amazing, (laughs) it will all be there so the listeners can follow up. Um, I have one quick question. It's more just my own curiosity. Where were 600 bikes delivered? (laughs) (laughs) So we worked with, um, at that time, we worked with a local bike company so they ordered them and they have a warehouse that they stored them in i was picturing her in her living room you know right. the prime, putting bikes together 18 wheelers pulled right. up <laughs> yeah no um, i've come close to that having to happen but no <laughs> i love it so i'm curious robin when did you first become aware of katie obviously you you know of each other but what was that uh, that light bulb moment for me i am always i have always been drawn to people making a difference, people doing something different, and especially in the education world because I'm a teacher. So I have also been at the College of Charleston adjunct for now 24 years and really focused on what our teacher's doing and ran across this amazing teacher at one of our schools who was putting together bikes. And you're so good at social media because I also saw it from the perspective of we need help. Hey, community, can you come help us build bikes? Can you help us, you know, put these together for the kids? So I was very intrigued by that. And that really is what, you know, and then you and I, Katie, have kind of come around a lot in different circles because, again, we have a very similar path being in the classroom to the College of Charleston, nonprofit, entrepreneurship, like you just run into these people. And I am in awe of, of Katie. I find this fascinating. So without giving away your trade secrets, what were some of the lessons you learned from this first entrepreneurial endeavor that maybe you wouldn't make a second time? Um, It's not so much a a mistake, but it's just a major piece of advice I learned along the way is to surround yourself, well, two pieces of it, surround yourself with people that are experts in things you're not an expert in. So don't pretend to be the accountant when you're not an accountant, hire an accountant. Like you're going to waste a bunch of time where you could be using that time with what you're, you know, flexing the skill you're actually good at, raising money, doing so, doing these other things. And you're probably going to do it wrong if you try, if that's not what your job, what you're good at. And just let someone, like I hate numbers. I hate, hate, hate the financial part of anything. So I hire someone and they do it. And then it's not a headache for me and I can focus on what I'm good at. And then the other piece is surround yourself with people that are like-minded. You know, like they always say, you are like your five closest, you know, people in your circle. So my friends are, for the most part, all entrepreneurs, very successful business people, and that I can go to and I can vent and I can ask questions about. And it's not always I have to be this perfect professional because I'm still learning all the time, just like everybody is. And, you know, everyone gets that imposter syndrome at some point and being able to go to someone to talk me off the ledge of like, no, you 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 can do this. You are good at this. Um, and so it's just making sure you have those people in your, in your corner and that you're not wasting your time, you know, with people that aren't like uh, lifting you up. Right. I love that. I, I, always, I love a podcast, Guy Raz, How I Built This. Um, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurs' stories, and your story is just so amazing. And there was this pivotal moment that I want you to talk about, which was your phone call from the Steve Harvey show. Tell us about that. Oh, my gosh. So I was in my classroom, and you know, it's not like I have breaks during the day. <laughs> like your teachers don't get breaks. You know, no. it's you're in the you're eating your lunch with the kids. There's you get, you know, every 20 minute once a day break you have is filled with meetings. So 
um, I would have to have, you know, a, a co-teacher, like, you know, we'd be recess and I have 20 minutes and they would have to watch my class so I could run in and get on a Zoom with the Steve Harvey producers. But it was so wild because with that, you know, it's quick. You know, you're talking one day and you're on a plane that night. So there's no room for, I'll get back to you. And I did a video Zoom with the producer and he was so nice and excited and it just felt like, made me feel important and special. And they said, all right, it was four o'clock and um, TJ Maxx and Twitter had done this joint campaign, this two-week campaign promoting my GoFundMe. And I had a major meeting, phone call with the top executives from this marketing company of TJ Maxx. At the same time, Steve Harvey is their wow. their producers are like, we need you on a plane at eight p.m. and it was four p.m. and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so I'm like doing this meeting and trying to get my principal to approve a sub for me for the next day and thinking like, okay, I have to drive from North Charleston back to Mount Pleasant and then in rush hour back to the airport. It was just like complete, just panic, but excited panic. And so um, I have never driven so fast in my life. <laughs> They're like, you don't need to bring anything. Don't pack anything. We're going to dress you, do your hair, do your makeup. Just literally get on the airplane. So I went home and literally just like with a big purse, like face wash and pajamas, like wow. flew to the airport. And then I finally got there in, t- in time. I'm at the gate and I'm so high in adrenaline, just like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I've barely had time to even tell anyone. And I have one second to just like calm down before we board. And there was this group of businessmen sitting there. It was like a Wednesday night. And I just go, I just have to tell you what I'm doing. I'm so excited. Just like (laughs) blurt it out. (laughs) Like I just have to tell somebody. And they just laughed so hard. We're like, this is so cool. But I was just so excited (laughs) and hadn't had a chance to tell anyone about it. And they got the the story. And they loved it. So you, he, Steve Harvey interviewed you about the GoFundMe, the bicycles. Had you already, did you already have a nonprofit at that point? No. At this point, so this was like maybe a month after I launched the GoFundMe. And I wow. had only raised $17,000 at that point. And I ended up raising over 80000 in three months because it went viral after that show. So when I in that month, month and a half, I had raised about seventeen thousand, which I was still wildly excited about. I could that was just from me with no network promoting it on my social media, and um, so he, yeah, I, when it was when it aired, it aired um, early October, early November, and I, you know, after that, it was like my phone was just dinging, dinging, dinging with donations coming through. People were messaging me saying, you know. I woke up at three in the morning, turned on the TV, and there was your your episode. I've never in my life been compelled to donate to something like this before, but I just did. And I was like, oh, I could cry even thinking about it because it's just wow. so, you know, it, it it impacted regular people who don't know me, yeah. who don't know these kids, who don't even live in Charleston, that they felt touched by it. Wow. What did it feel like when you gave the bikes away? Can you take us to that that day or that time? How was that all done? Well, it's not even just that day. It's not just that one time. We've done it now seven more times. You're going to make her cry again. I know. I'm like already crying. <laughs> um, so we've done it. We're about to do it our eighth and ninth time in less than two weeks. So I've gotten to do, relive that day seven times, which is, and it just keeps getting better and better 
because we perfect, you know, the, we call it a bike reveal. We perfect it even more. So it's more of a party than it's ever been all day for these kids, for the staff. But it's, you know, it's my entire year is built up for that, to that one day, you know, everything, everything I I could cry, (laughs) everything I work for all the late nights, everything I'm doing is for that moment. And so I, I always get really emotional talking about it because it is my life pulled into one day, one moment, um, because I know what it's going to do for those kids. You know, I know like they don't really understand the impact yet, but even when they're in adults and they look back, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this, how, when they understand how a nonprofit gets money, they understand like what went into it. I think it will impact them more than it even does in that moment. So when you left the Steve Harvey show, did he give you any words of advice? Was there some statement even during the interview that you still remember to this day? Um, not necessarily like a words of advice, but he he was so touched. So I guess before I had come on the show, he had said, okay, yeah, we're going to give this teacher $10,000. But then he didn't know the story. So then on live on stage hearing the story, he was so impacted by it because he grew up in poverty. And he said when he was 13, his dad finally got him a pink girl's bike and he didn't even care because it was a bike. And so he was so personally touched, he ended up doubling that to make it 20,000. So the big check that I have from him says 10,000 because he was like, you know, the producers don't even know I'm going to do this, but I am a spokesperson for another company, um, D Herbs and or Green. Let's see, Green Dot and D Herbs were the two companies that he was able to get money through. And he said, "I'm able. I have a certain amount of money. I'm allowed to do stuff with, and I'm going to give you another ten thousand. Wow. So I could see all the producers like scrambling backstage <laughs> as he was saying this because they're like, "Oh my gosh, we weren't prepared for this." <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed by this. It's terrific. So you came out of this already with uh, validation. You you now have a success story that you can take and teach other people. Uh, any success stories, local foundations, other groups that you've worked with that you're especially proud of what they've accomplished thanks to your teachings? Um, I haven't, I mean, necessarily worked with any like local, you know, I, I have had lots of clients in my social media or my, uh, uh, nonprofit Entrepreneur Academy that aren't necessarily local because we have clients all over the country. But one in particular, um, in her first year after taking my class, she was able to quit her full-time job. She's in Florida, started, bought, was able to get a full building, like with multiple rooms for her nonprofit to be in, and is now on to her second building, is expanding, and it's become wildly ex- successful. Um, so that made me feel really good. That was able to help her you know, reach that level. And I've helped some other um, for-profits turn into nonprofits and stuff like that locally. But that was probably my biggest, you know, she did the work. When on the timeline we suggested, she, you know, she did it. And, you know, and it, and it proved, you know, my, the method works. <laughs> what I, I'm living proof that there's stuff I'm doing that other nonprofits aren't doing. I don't know why, because it just seems so simple and so basic, you know, in just terms of basic networking um, and how you build, you get those sponsors, those donors that, you know, being able to come on this podcast. Like, I don't see a lot of other nonprofits doing a lot of that stuff on a regular basis. One time isn't going to do anything. You have to be continuously out there in front of people. Be and on, so on the business, not in the business. Exactly. Share the story. The story matters. Yeah. Sure. I have a question. Um, 
How many bikes do you give away now? You said you started with 600. Is it still, do you stick to that 600? No. So every year it's a different amount. Um, Usually it's a little bit different now when it went from a GoFundMe to now a actual nonprofit um, business. It was a very hard transition because all of a sudden I thought, oh, well, this will be better. People now, it's now tax deductible. It's now an actual charity. But people then view now viewed it from a teacher doing a nice thing to a business. And so actually the funds didn't come in. Once I left teaching, I'm now running this. I kind of expected this same flood of just donations. And this is so easy. And it was not that. And it was very shocking and very hard to be like, okay, now I have to rethink my strategies and how I'm promoting this and how I'm doing this. Um, so, you know, it just, it, that, that beginning part was, was definitely difficult. Yeah. That makes sense though. Teacher doing great things for her students, you know, that story pulls at a lot of heartstrings. So a lot of our listeners are teachers and I know you and I were both teachers and we had that kind of to your question earlier around that poll, that moment where we felt there was more, there was bigger, like you and I, you're, you're thinking about with your student one bike and thinking, well, why can't I do the whole grade level? What about the whole school? Like, I think that way too. Like, why just this one thing? Why not all of it? What advice would you give to a teacher who might be listening right now thinking, hmm, I have this idea but, you know, I need my day job or I don't want to leave my students. Was it hard to do both? Because you obviously couldn't. You had to leave to do just the nonprofit. But is there a way to kind of balance both for a while? Yeah, I was very lucky that we had this seed money from the go, from the GoFundMe going viral because it was over many, many more national media. You know, it was in Time Magazine. Lester Holt flew in. Um, it was their feel good, feel good story. ABC World News. I mean, literally, I... I USA Today, I think, interviewed me like four times. It was wild, 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 wild. Um, and today's show, I mean, it was crazy. So I was very lucky and in, in, in an unusual place. So we had leftover money. When we gave the bikes, it went viral again because everyone wanted to cover the, the kids getting the bikes. So, you know, $40,000 came in overnight just from that. So I was able to leave teaching and still get paid my, my teacher salary so that was an, an unusual position to be in. The average person isn't going to be able to do that. So there, but the thing is, like it when you're pushing this and you do want it to become a full time job eventually, where you can get paid from it, it you have to treat it like a full time job. I mean, I would come home from teaching and I would work until midnight, and then I would get up at five a.m. and go to work. And and you know when my kids are getting ready for dismissal, I'm quickly like doing things for the nonprofit, you know, for the GoFundMe and. I it, it was the queen. I was the queen of multitasking, and so it's that is not sustainable um, because obviously teaching should should be like the if that's your you know you have, you have to be a teacher. You can't. I couldn't have sustained that as as a good teacher more than just those few months. Yeah. Um, but you know there is you you just have to keep pushing. You can't. You have to be consistent. I I love to give this example. When when you are trying to lose weight, you don't eat a salad once and go to the gym once and all of a sudden you're skinny. You have to be consistent and you don't always, you can't always pinpoint the day, like one day you look in the mirror like, oh wow, I've really lost some weight, but you can't pinpoint the day that happened. It's like that with anything else in building a company or trying to get a nonprofit started. You have to be consistent. No one's going to remember you if you aren't continuously showing up in person on social media 
being in people's faces because first of all, it's not about you. So it should be very easy to ask for money. <laughs> it's, it's not like it's like going to go in my pocket. And then secondly, you have to just always be front of mind for people. And so you can be doing those things on weekends, uh, you know, after work um, and just keep pushing it. And if if you have to, if you want this to be your full-time job, make it your full-time job. And then nanny on the side, work in a bar, or restaurant, Uber, like do the side hustle to make the your living so you can get this where you want it to go as quickly as possible. That's great advice. She sounds like Dave Ramsey. You know, you've got that whole thing down pat. Well, what you said earlier, and I want to harp on this, is that it, this is work. You can't open the box and expect money to come out. You have to work full time and a half to make this successful. And if someone is not prepared to put in that kind of time investment, then they probably shouldn't go down this path. Oh, yeah. I mean, ask anyone in my life. The past five and a half years have been... Absolutely. I mean, I work seven days a week, but especially now that I have these two other companies plus the teaching job at the school, I work seven days a week until bed, but I have to schedule me time. I have to, you know, put on my calendar. If I'm going to go to drinks with a friend or dinner, I have to schedule it and I have to balance it. And, you know, most of my friends are entrepreneurs. They understand. And I have busy seasons. Like this fall is always busy. It's bike reveal season. We've got two bike reveals. We're giving away 587 bikes in less than two weeks. So that's a lot of work, you know, leading up to it. While I'm also balancing these other companies, and I was out of t- you know out of town for work at a women's conference, this women's entrepreneur group I'm part of, and you know there's just a lot of other things going on, um, and so, but I, I love it all. I love it. I thrive in chaos. I I live I live for this. To have nothing to do all day but one task is miserable to me. So you have to truly be an entrepreneur and like that. This is obviously not what I want forever, but I have set up these other two companies to become uh, uh, passive income. You know, so they're in the building stages. the The nonprofit entrepreneur academy is now in the passive income phase, but um, the social collective is being set up to be like that. So eventually, I won't be having to work this insanely, and I can always focus just on the nonprofit while still. Wow. Well, as we knew, so having two high-energy guests in the studio, or the host <laughs> and the guest, uh, we're just about out of time. I want we to thank our guest. <laughs> yeah, I want to thank our guest, Katie Blumquist, uh, nonprofit founder and executive director. I could go on and on, but Going Places is your nonprofit. If you visit robinberlinski.com, you can get more information as well as listen to the podcast either through the website or every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock on uh, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina is 1250 WTMA at Sunday mornings at eight. Any, you got about 20 seconds to say goodbye to your new best friend here. <laughs> well, I'm going to be at the bike reveal, Katie. Yay! I'm your new biggest fan. Oh, I cannot wait. You're going to love it. I can't wait. I think this is tremendous. So I know we're, we're going to be listening to this, you know, later on, but give me the date right now when the next reveal is. So we are building all 587 bikes, building. November 10th, 11th, and 12th. And then the first bike reveal is at Dunstan Elementary in North Charleston. And that's about 448 bikes. That's November 14th. And then November 16th is about 130 bikes at Charleston Development Academy downtown. Outstanding. Perfect timing. We'll see you next time on Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. <laughs>